Okay, if not, tonight we want to interact with Acts chapter 17. Lorraine was supposed to sing tonight, but, or not sing, I think, play, but she is not feeling well, so she's not here. So we'll interact with God's Word and then be in our way. As we turn to Acts 17, I do have a question for you. We've been discussing the gospel. I've mentioned quite often the basic gospel concepts that involve God, begin with God, humans, sin, death, Christ, the cross, repentance and faith, and eternal life. So a question. Do people in the greater Wyoming Valley area believe in God? Do people in the greater Wyoming Valley area believe in God? Looking for a response. Do people in the greater Wyoming Valley area believe in God? They believe in a God. They believe in a God? Any other response? Depends on the age group. Any other response? Probably if you surveyed, you would find that most people believe in God. My follow-up question would be, what God do they believe? And what God do they believe? Another question. Do Muslims believe in the same God as we believe in? Do Muslims believe in the same God as we believe in? Yes. You, I see. Believers in Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But Muslims do believe in a God, but believe in other people in the world believe in a God. Okay. A follow up question Is Allah, whom the Muslims believe in, the same God? as the Creator God. No? Who is responsible to reach on believers in our area? Who is responsible to reach on believers in our area? I see a finger going this way. I'll point this way. <laughs> the Spirit of God ultimately must convict. Acts chapter 17, we find that Paul is in Athens. And I realize this map is not the best just because of lighting and so on. This morning we talked about Paul ministering in Lystra. Tonight we're going to be talking about his ministry in Athens, which is you know, quite a distance, you know, a different point in time but ministering in the city of Athens. And as we read the passage, we'll make some comment, well, afterward, make some comment about some of the beliefs that were present in the city of Athens. Acts 17, beginning with verse 16. Well, Paul was waiting for them, that is Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, 
as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. I want you to notice that he's reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. In the marketplace day by day, he is reasoning with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, "May we know what this new, or may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean." All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the God of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made or built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made like man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman, Deomaris, and a number of others. Now, Paul is ministering in Athens. Athens was a famous city. The Areopagus would have sat on a hill in the center of the city, some 200 feet high. There was a temple in that area. There was also a senate chamber for the council of the 500 to meet. The court of the Areopagus is where Socrates would have come in 399 B.C. to face his accusers. And this is where Paul would have spoke. The population in Athens at that time, 
was probably about a quarter of a million people. Now Paul is waiting for Silas and Timothy and he's distressed because he sees the city is full of idols. So as I mentioned earlier, he is reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks. He's also reasoning in the marketplace. So he goes where the Jews are and the God-fearing Greeks. He reasons there. He reasons in the marketplace with whoever comes to the marketplace. And then he is also going to be reasoning and discussing with the Epicureans. Now the Epicureans believed that the universe is eternal. But it's not created. Gods do exist. And they're immortal, but they're made of atoms. They do not intervene in human affairs. You know, the world just goes on. The Epicureans also believed that humans evolved. And there is no afterlife. By the way, when we think about evolution, don't think evolution is something recent. That goes back to the beginning of time. The ultimate goal of the Epicurean teaching was to achieve pleasure and the absence of pain. So they wanted to achieve happiness. The Stoic philosophers believed in an impersonal deity. They said evil was a mere appearance. And their view of sin was very, very shallow. And human souls will ultimately perish. No, they don't live on forever and ever. So that's what Paul is dealing with as he is ministering here in Athens. So what's he do? The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers are disputing with him. And what is he discussing? He's discussing and preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So because they enjoyed, we'll say debate, reasoning, they bring him to their council and say, share. You know, share your thoughts. So I want you to notice in verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting and said, Men of Athens. Now here he is speaking to men who would be educated, philosophers. And he says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknowing God. So they didn't want to miss any God, so to the unknowing God, and Paul says, let me tell you about him. Now in relation to that, which do I hit? Okay, knowing what you already know in light of what we have discussed about the Epicureans and Stoics, as well as what we have read, where do you think these people were on the evangelism, evangelism scale? And you should have a handout, and here it is also. Were they born with a God vacuum? I think we can safely say they were. 
Were they aware of higher power or higher powers? You know, they had, the Jews would have been aware of that. The Greek, God-fearing Greeks would have been. And we know that the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers would have been. Did they sense personal spiritual emptiness? They seemed to, otherwise they wouldn't be pursuing gods. <clears throat> were they seeking to fill it? They seemed to, they were pursuing gods. Were they vulnerable to false beliefs? Definitely, because the Stoics, the Epicureans, were following false gods. Did they realize that there was one true creator God? No? Now what of the Jews in the synagogue? The Jews probably would have, and probably the God-fearing Jews, but the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers would not have. And apparently, those that he's reasoning with on Mars Hill, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, would not have realized that there was one creator God. And I think it's safe to say that Paul reasoned differently in the synagogue than he did in the marketplace. And he reasoned even differently when he was talking to those in the meeting of the Areopagus because of their beliefs. We begin where people are, or seek to understand where people are, and then respond accordingly. <clears throat> What was the worldview? Now I'm talking about the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers that he's reasoning with. What was their worldview? You know, what did they think about the world and so on? Okay, there were no absolutes. What else was their worldview? <clears throat> How did they view life? Okay, nothing beyond. They love to debate. Or dispute. Now the Jews would have believed in the creator God. They worship false gods. Next one. Of the eight gospel concepts, God, human, sin, death, Christ, cross, repentance, faith, and eternal life. Which of these did the Epicureans and Stoics already understand fairly well? What do you think? None of them. Notice how Paul begins. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He begins with God, clearly states that God is creator. God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hands. He's not served by human hands. 
And if he needs anything, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He begins with God. Why talk about Christ if God is not God and he's not creator? Notice what else he says in verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men. What man would Paul be referring to? What man's he referring to? He'd be referring to Adam. He begins with God. He ties in humans. He goes back to Adam. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. You know, he determined the times set for them, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He begins with God. He goes to humans. He also ties in sin indirectly in verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world by, or with justice by the man he appointed. Who's the man he appointed? Christ. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now Paul does not speak for a half an hour. It doesn't take him a half an hour to say what Paul did. But he challenges them. He brings up God. He brings up humans. Indirectly sin. He brings up Christ. He brings up judgment. He brings up the resurrection. And in bringing up Christ indirectly, he's talking about the cross. Now, if you know anything about people who like to debate and reason, they would have had tons of questions. In fact, in verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Okay, he began with God, humans, and so on. Next question. What did Paul do and say to challenge and correct their faulty worldview concepts? He talked to them about a creator God who isn't served by humans, who gives life, and so on. Another question, is our valley, the culture of our valley, more like Jerusalem, which is Jewish, like Lystra, which has some false worship, or more like Athens, 
which has many false gods. What is our valley like? What do you think? Pardon? Like Athens? Pardon? Okay. Joe would say Athens, Ruth Ann say Lystra, but moving fast towards Athens. Any other response? Lord willing, next Sunday morning we'll talk some more about our valley. But if we don't understand our valley, we're not seeking to understand our valley, we'll begin at the wrong point. Or we'll be talking to them about things that they're not there. We have some in our valley who would say, I believe in Christ. But a follow-up question is, what Christ do you believe in? Do you believe in the Christ who came in human form, whose death, burial, resurrection is sufficient to have a relationship with God? You know, we can talk about faith. Well, what do you have faith in? What is faith? Thoughts on making disciples or evangelism. Observe people, observe culture. I think I'm safe in saying this. In our immediate area, many people would say, I believe in God. They would say they believe in Christ. But you will find that probably... 50 to 60% of the people in our immediate area do not attend church any place. They may have a religious background or not interested. Those under 20 in our area, you probably will find that the overwhelming majority know almost nothing about God. A Bible, what is it? Jesus? Who's he? Our area is fast changing. Observe the culture. Begin where people are. I'm of the conviction that with those who are maybe 25 and under many times, you have to begin with God. That he's a creator God. You can't begin with Christ. You have to go back to creation. Who is God? He's the one who created. Talk in light of where they are. Seek to move to Christ in time. Begin with God. Discuss humans. Discuss sin. Discuss death. Remember a funeral I had within the last couple of years. I truly believe that every person at that funeral was an unbeliever. You can tell pretty quick if someone's a believer at a funeral, you know, just by how they respond. But I think every person there was probably an unbeliever. And I began with Genesis. 
you know, I began to talk about God, and I said, you know why we have death? You know, God created and discussed Genesis 1 some, went into Genesis 3 some, and explained sin and the fall, and then went on to Christ. And I began to see some lights go on, especially when I talked about death. Oh, is that why we have death? You know, seeking to begin where they were, and then I brought in Christ, and I only spoke about 20 minutes, longer than Paul spoke in Morris Hill, but tried to begin with God. The Holy Spirit has to work. We can say what we want, but ultimately the Holy Spirit has to work. A couple of thoughts. And where do we begin in our area? Listen to and befriend unbelievers on the job, shopping, in school. Just listen. And befriend unbelievers. Don't expect them to be where you are. I think another thought, recognize that the message we proclaim at times is denied in our relationships. And we're proclaiming a message of reconciliation to God through Christ. But many times, believers' relationships in the greater Wyoming Valley are not good. We have tons of splits and Churches split and churches squabble and don't resolve it and so on. So you're going to talk to a non-believer about Christ. You talked about God. You talked about humans. You talked about sin. You talked about death and you're presenting Christ and the fact that there can be a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ. You come into a relationship with other believers and they say, well, what kind of relationship do you have with other believers? Recognize that and they may bring that up. Maybe at times we need to seek to resolve some relational barriers and say, well, I don't have any. I remember having a service for a guy just recently, him saying to me when I was talking to him in his home, I don't want your God. Because I know people who know him, claim to know him. And they're much worse than I am in relationships. So maybe we need to stop sometimes and, you know, within our power, if we have any relational barriers to deal with them. Model, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. I was up at Mountain Fresh recently and uh, was coming around to check out and I saw Randy, one of the checkout places. I thought, I'm going to go through Randy's checkout line. Had to wait a little longer, but... Pardon? So the, experience the experience was worth it. But I, I enjoy observing people. And... Randy was very polite. He was very courteous. And he appeared to be doing a very good job. That stands in contrast to some other checkouts that I've had you know, over the years. 
whether it be Randy or Aaron or Alan or Don or any of the rest of us, as we work as unto God, that is a big factor in reaching our valley. Live a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands. Very, very important. When you live in a subtle community, begin to share God, humans, and so on. Depends who you're talking with. Talk about the gospel as, it really, as a relationship with God and a relationship with Christ. The religious people in the area think the gospel is hopefully getting out of hell and going to heaven. And in the process, you might spend some time in purgatory. That's not what the gospel does. It gives a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ. I think also define some terms. <clears throat> you can talk to those in our area with a Catholic background. You can talk about faith. Oh, yeah, I have faith in God. Talk about grace. Well, I believe in grace. We define grace. Well, grace is the ability God gives to me to do good works to earn my way to heaven. That's a simplified definition. Don't push too hard for a decision. Let the Spirit do a work. Practice Colossians 4, 1 Peter 3. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. That is towards unbelievers. So someone comes into Motor World and they're irate. And Andy is talking to them. Maybe he's not talking to them, he's listening to them initially. Be wise in the way you act towards that person. You're checking out at a store. And the person in front of you is not so nice. A couple of weeks ago, Ruth and I had lunch up at uh, Cracker Barrel with Dave and Doris as they were passing through. And I went to uh, pay. And the person in front of me, the cashier, said, How was your meal? I went. I'm going to take it home and feed it to my dog. And then he said a couple other things, and initially I thought he was joking. And then the cashier responded, and he got a little more irate. Well, she said, I'll get the manager. I don't know if she was a believer or not, but she was quite gracious. I mean, he was plain downright nasty. I was right behind him. I was tempted to say, Bud, let's go outside and just have a little talk about how you treat ladies. <laughs> I needed to be wise, you know. But then another cashier said, come on over here. But how do you respond to that circumstance? 
We run into people that are not nice, wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Be ready to give an answer. So Andy is patient and kind with that person, and finally the person calms down, and the person says, I was pretty mean to you, and you were pretty patient with me. Why? And he says, well, there's a living God at work in me. Display a daily life that shows you have life. You're walking with God. You're not perfect. You make mistakes. You struggle along the way. But Christ is evident in your life. Paul is ministering to one type of audience. We have a similar audience in our area, and we'll discuss it more next Sunday morning. Just relating wisely to the world in which we live. And evangelism many times is more of a process than a point in time. Questions or comments before we pray together? Joe? Believer on, believer were dependent upon. God depended upon Christ. Yes. They don't realize that. No. Keep in mind, if the Lord tarries, we probably will live more and more in an Athens culture in our valley. But just seeking to live wisely and well, and being faithful.